and collect in the experience of sitting. Receptive and alert. Knowing the various sensations that come and go as you're aware of your sitting posture. And when you sense that the awareness is somewhat collected and grounded, open from this space to the experience of hearing. Simple experience of sounds arising and passing. quite awake and also non-interfering the awareness. Noticing the difference between the simplicity of hearing and the mental reaction that may arise. Two connected experiences, but they're not the same experience. And then feeling the sensation of this next breath. Attentive, connected, yet also non-interfering. Continuing to use the sensations of breath or the sensations of the sitting, whichever you've been using, as your anchor, as the place to recollect and refresh the quality of attention whenever attention gets scattered, too much is happening, or you have no idea what's happening. Or the mindfulness gets tight, reactive to some experience. The sensations of breath, of body, are an incredibly useful tool that we use. Yet at the same time, we don't need to 
hold on to sensations of breath and try to push away other experience either. So fully present with this one breath, this in-breath, this out-breath. Without particularly looking for other experience, we simply notice whatever rises by itself comes into consciousness, into awareness by itself. We acknowledge that. Example, hearing. Some sensation in the body. A train of thought. A mood and emotion. Mental images. Without preference, in the moment of noticing an arising experience, let the full light of mindfulness connect with that experience. Without holding back, without trying to change it. Using the mental labeling can be a very helpful way first to be aware that we've actually connected awareness with experience. Otherwise, labeling isn't really possible. And then to help the awareness stay connected, sink deeper into whatever's happening. So hearing, or sensation, burning, itching, tingling, lightness, tension, vibrating, whatever. Thinking, planning, anger, remembering, daydreaming. Not as a judgment, simply an acknowledgement of what's happening. Arising out of mindfulness, otherwise we couldn't know. Sadness, frustration, excitement, boredom, calm, And as mindfulness connects with the experience, noticing as awareness explores the experience, just noticing what happens, if it changes, how it changes. Does it go away? Can the breath arise again in awareness? Or does some new experience arise in the middle of the first experience? No problem, just notice what's happening. Sometimes the breath or body is primary. Not much else happens. Not really pulling the awareness, that's fine refocus, become more interested in the sensations of breathing. 
Sometimes it seems many experiences are coming and going rather quickly. That's also fine. Simply notice. If they're happening more quickly than it feels the awareness can connect, simply connect with predominant ones. Don't try to catch everything. It's not a race. Tension gets dull, diffuse, you feel a bit lost. Come back to the simplicity of feeling this breath, this body. If you notice, the mind seems to be getting caught in a reaction of aversion or desire, clinging, a reaction to some experience, you might bring mindfulness to the experience again and just see if there's a pleasant or unpleasant quality to that experience that's noticeable. And if so, really noticing that, pleasant, 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 unpleasant because that is often unseen where the mind gets caught in reactivity, in struggle. If you're aware of an unpleasant or painful sensation, been with it for some time, back to breathing, back to the sensation. And the thought arises, or you become aware you want to move. Let's see if you can notice the intention before moving. So that the stream of mindfulness is unbroken, whether you move or not.
Do you have any questions about your practice? I'm um, not completely clear what you mean by this second response not to be denied. Do you mean like her, you talked about a physical response. To a moment of awakening. Uh-huh. To how to awaken, how, how to how to awaken that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Um, can you hear his question? Could you all hear him? Just um, confused about what I said and paraphrased of what the Buddha said. I can't speak for what the Buddha would have meant other than what I read, I can only give my interpretation, right? And from how I read it, he was, the thing about the Buddha that I do believe is that he could really kind of read into where someone was coming from. Ah, Certainly I can't, we can't. And in pointing to saying to her, it's not Ananda but his kindness that you are really loving, he was, in my opinion, pointing to help her see the difference where she could have been caught, to help her awaken. I didn't read her experience of coming back to the Buddha and following Ananda as already a moment of awakening. But in the Buddha's response to her, trying to help her see sort of the difference that doesn't mean she doesn't love Ananda with a metta kind of love, but the kind of love that follows someone through life is different from metta. It's a kind of attachment. And my interpretation of his saying it's Ananda's kindness that you love was really to help her wake up from that sense of attachment to a person to see that that kindness is 
impersonal, that it doesn't have to be fixated on Ananda, that she doesn't have to follow Ananda to experience that love, that kindness, that it's actually, he said, go you and, and treat others with that kindness, that it's actually accessible in herself. In other words, she doesn't need Ananda to experience either that kindness or the love that's free from attachment. That's how I read that. Does that speak to you at all? Yeah, sure. Yeah, he opened the gate for her, but she doesn't have to follow him the rest of her life. That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. It is a component. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crucial. The Buddha's not denying that, or I wasn't denying that. He's saying we have to go beyond that. That's all. Not limit it to that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Very little, <laughs> extremely little. <laughs> Could you all hear her in the background? It sounds like. <laughs> yeah. You mean Joseph didn't clarify that? <laughs> Frivolous. It's okay if it's mindful reflection. It's okay. <laughs> I had like my suttas with me because there's places where he says, I'm not kidding, it's very little. That <laughs> isn't frivolous. And um, it's a huge, actually, it's a huge aspect. If you really were to work with wise speech in those four things, it cuts out like 90%. I'm not kidding. And uh, there are places, there's one sutta, I really can't remember all the specific things he lists, but the Buddha comes to some monks who are sitting around talking. And he, uh, he kind of uh, says, you know, what are you talking about? What's all the discussion been about? And they tell him, you know, and he says, you know, you should talk about the Dharma. There's nothing really else. He gives this whole list of talking about kings. So it would be talking about politics. Talk, don't, now, don't judge me about this. I didn't say it. Talking about <laughs> politics, you know, talking about things that are going on in the world, um, any kind of games or entertainment or just passing the time, any talk about a third person, which in itself, I'm sure Joseph mentioned that, that just cuts plenty. And um, in some ways I would say, that now this is me now, not what I remember reading, as with all of our actions, it always comes back to intention. 
So the examples you gave, if we met and I really say to you, how are you? And the intention is really, I really care. I want to know. We haven't seen each other for a while. And you tell me, again, it's like a connection, an expression of metta, an expression of caring, great. But that kind of, oh, how are you? Eh, see you later, gone. You know, That's not really, that's just kind of extra frivolous. So I would say for what I find useful in my own experience, when I remember to look at it in daily life, because it's hard to remember frivolous talk, is not to so much have a sense of lists. You know, I shouldn't talk about politics. I shouldn't talk about kings. I shouldn't talk about third people. But to uh, pay attention internally to my intention in the talking, in the, in the speaking. How much of it is a discomfort with quiet? How much of it is just feeling like we've got to do something here? How much of it is really entertainment? We get talking about a third person or this or that or the movies we saw, and it's, you know, it's entertainment. Well, if you're not on eight precepts, it's not like entertainment's bad. But to pay attention as you engage in it and afterwards. And when I'm paying attention, the more uh, just chit-chat, the more disconnected I start to feel from my own experience, even from the other person, from, from just resting more in truth. You know? and so I think what's most helpful is to explore it in your life so you have a sense of why that's one of the areas of wise speech and how it can be helpful to drop it to, st- to come more to rest in truth rather than treat it as some weird, weird set of rules. But really, when he gave that list to the monks, for monks and nuns, basically it was dharma that was worth talking about and not a whole lot else. Doesn't mean they wouldn't care for each other. If a monk was sick, the Buddha would want to know. He could go ask, "How are you doing?" Take care of him. That's just you know normal human caring, of course. Does that speak to it at all? Okay, I think we have to stop. Enjoy the day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.